Welcome back to another episode of the Hoops Temple Podcast. We're in jovial spirits on opening day eve as we try to plan out how we're going to watch the, the the league this season. Y'all know me, Nathan, and of course, my usual duo of co-hosts, Nico and Dylan. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. It's, uh, it's the greatest time of the year. It's not too hot. It's basketball's coming back. I'm happy. Nice. I still have two more sleeps before I can watch basketball. Mm. And it's raining and it's piss cold. Nice. It's um the weather's getting really lovely, which is just rubbing in the fact that we're still in lockdown, so I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I always forget the seasons are opposite for you. Yep. <laughs> it's like to me, basketball being a winter sport is great because like, all right, I'm stopping all of my outdoor activities and now I'm inside more and now I get to watch basketball, so it's just perfect. Yesterday it was like a beautiful 22, 23 degrees. Bam. Had had no work. Just wanted to, you know, catch up with a, with some mates and have a beer on a day like that. But <sighs> alas, lockdown again. Yeah. Well, we have the second half of the GM survey. If that helps, honey. Absolutely. Yay. That that <laughs> that'll cheer me up. Well, we've made it into the rookies and international section. Uh, and the first question is really just hitting the nail on the head of who will win Rookie of the Year. So it's not going to be Kate. Really? Yeah. Well, why is that? Do you want to go into your into your reasoning? <laughs> nah, I just read today that bear his uh, angles a bit this season. Uh, apparently, he's injured at the moment, and mm. it seems like they aren't gonna like run him at a hundred percent at least for for the early parts of the season. Right. So when Casey said that he he wasn't gonna push uh, Kate to to like do any special stuff this season, that he he basically said that that Kate was gonna like develop at his own pace and they weren't gonna push him. So that doesn't that doesn't sound great for a uh, like rookie of the year award. No, that's not exactly what you want to hear. Although right. I was I was having a conversation with a coworker today just. Being in Michigan, having Cade for the Pistons, it's it's kind of a glimmer of hope. And we we're all kind of saying, like, you know, if the Pistons suck another year or two and can get another top draft pick, it wouldn't be the worst thing. So I'm not entirely opposed to a slow build, let Cade have some shine, but not go all the way in on it. Also, just like Red, that they see Sadiq Bey and Jeremy Grant as like the uh, offensive firepower of that team like that's that's their offensive duo this season that they didn't mention kate and in, in, uh, in like who they you know want to play this season so i think they're gonna take it slow with kate mm. I mean, my, my pick for rookie of the year is probably like the the guy that they're not gonna take it slow with like isn't josh green just gonna get sorry jalen green isn't he just gonna yeah. get like every shot he wants that would be my pick as well yeah yeah i i'm torn I want to be the contrarian and be like Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes is going to win Rookie of the Year just because I have high hopes for the Raptors. And then I always look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, they're not going to have Siakam. Maybe this goes horribly. But I don't think if the Raptors can make the playoffs and Barnes plays like 25-ish minutes a night, 25 to 30, 
kind of like Scotty for the uh, for rookie of the year. Who do you think they give it to though? Like Scotty Barnes averaging ten points and four assists on an eight seed, or Jalen Green, you know, putting up nineteen points on the worst team in the league. Like rookie of the a, year is a, a lot like one that they focus a lot more on counting stats. That's that's a conservative nineteen. If he's at that twenty five, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I mean, he's he's gonna miss a lot of shots. I don't think they'll let him take so many that he can get up to twenty five while shooting like forty percent from the field. Who else is gonna shoot? <laughs> um, Shengun. Great. Kevin Porter Jr. He he had he had a fifty last season. Uh, first team All Rookie Jay Sean Tate. I mean, Shengun actually got votes from um, from the GMs. Yeah. But I also just think it's pretty unlikely when when they also have Jalen Green on the team. But uh, if if I had to mention like one underdog in in this Rookie of the Year race, I think there could be some possibilities for Chris Duarte, who is on this Indiana team. He's 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 more, um, uh, you know, he's more experienced than some of the other rookies this season. Yeah, he's a lot more NBA ready. Right, and and he's been great this preseason. Uh, so maybe he can like start producing from day one and and like kind of do that Malcolm Brockton kind of rookie season where yeah. he's just he's just like solid from day one and and like you can't make a case for for the other guys because they may maybe like you know I could see Jalen Green have a horrible season in terms of efficiency like some somewhat like we saw from uh, Anthony Edwards last season uh, at yeah. at least at the start of the season yeah um and and the same with guys like elper and sinken uh, I, I i love his chances as as like a great offensive fi- firepower for for houston but i could also see the season being pretty tough for him as he adjusts to the nba tempo nate if you got in front of you did the gm show any love for my underdog Totally unbiased pick of Josh Giddy, who's also looked amazing in the preseason and is also going to get, you know, all he can handle. Yeah. No, they did not. No. <laughs> I bet. I bet they would have if they did this after the after the preseason. Yeah, for sure. But they also did not show him any love in our second question, and for the rookies, which is which will be the best rookie in five years? Are you going to take Giddy for that? Um, no, I'll take Cade for that. But I think Giddy for rookie of the year is actually not that bad a pick. It's possible for sure. I remember reading this. They actually, they didn't take Kate either, eh? No, they took Evan Mobley, who would be my choice. I just think the the length, the fluidity, ball handling skills at that size, if he can put on a little bit of muscle or, you know, play a four, uh, I really like Mobley in five years down the road. Yep, that's fair. Um, and, like, contrary to popular opinion, like, big men actually kind of develop faster than guards you know there's a lot more that you've got to learn as like a as a primary like lead ball handler um whereas mobley it's more just like figuring out how to be in the right positions defensively and like you said get stronger a fun note that they put in in the gm survey is that the player selected uh to be the best player in five years five years ago was ben simmons who was um in his draft well the second selection for that was Chris Dunn. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Five years ago, and uh, apparently Joel Embiid also got votes because he was still a rookie. 
it was missing years. So it was uh, Ben Simmons got 70% of the vote. Don got 20%. Ingram got 6.7. And Joel Embiid got 3.3. So uh-huh. uh, maybe we don't need to put too much stock in these GM surveys. Yeah, it just goes to show that like um, one thing that I actually kind of hate is when people are talking about like like front court quality and they go into like, you know, they drafted all of these great players, especially with like late picks. It's like, no, like all of these are guesses. Like you can have like the the best scouting and, and you know, projections, but like you're going to be wrong more than not. Like this is all, all a gamble. So when you get a team that's got like, you know, they pick up five starters with late picks. There's like credit the development more than, you know, the GM having being a great drafter. Because obviously these guys have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. If twenty percent thought Chris Dunn was gonna be a, a superstar. I'm pretty sure Chris Dunn just got cut. Yeah, Grizzlies waved Chris Dunn. So uh my man doesn't have a team right now. It's not like we've seen yeah, it's not like we've seen a lot of Chris Dunn last few years, so don't don't really know what to comment on that. Uh but I remember that in, in like two K sixteen, seventeen uh games, uh, I I did play a lot of you know, I, I added Chris Dunn to many of my teams, but he kind of just fell off, which could be the case for some of these rookies this season as well. I mean, that's that's the that's how it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To tie it back to Scotty Barnes, um, Chris Dunn is like still legitimately one of the best defenders at his position. It's just that he he's such a negative offensively that he's not even worth you know playing. Um, so that's that's the risk for Nate's guy Scotty. Scotty Barnes, yeah, and maybe also like Damian Mitchell. Could could be yeah, uh, yeah something that as well. as well. That's that's a good pick. Doesn't seem like he's got a lot of offensive uh, like potential. So what about guys a little bit further down in the draft? The third question for the rookie section was which rookie is the biggest steal at where he was selected? Um, I think Shengun comes to mind. Like he was a little bit lower than what yeah, we expected. Pick, pick, pick that sixteen. Yeah, like a lot. You know, some some um mocks had him like as a as a top ten guy. So to get him at 16, I think, is a good pick. I To, to kind of go deep into the bag, uh, Jerome Robinson Earl easily could be talked about like a Matisse Thibel-level defender. Uh, he's more of like a 3-4 defender than a 1-2 defender. Um, but he went into the second round, uh, maybe a little bit deeper in the second round. I'm trying to remember where exactly, but I think he could be a really big steal. Um, he's in Oklahoma, so don't expect anything this season, but in like two or three years when he's on his second team and he's playing some solid defense that that could look really nice oh um the the what's what's his name cam thomas bones highland cam, cam thomas there we go if he's as good as you know everyone's saying he's gonna be then you know there's a guy that was he even drafted where was he drafted 27th 27th yeah yeah uh, that, that, that's that's a that could be a steal if he's half as good as james harden says he is yeah, this whole list of players that the the GM selected kind of questionable. Uh, I see My people. My guy BJ Boston get any love? He did. He got one vote. It looks like. That said, Scotty Barnes also got a vote at really? the number four pick. Yeah, <laughs> Masai, you fucking liar! What are you talking about? Are <laughs> uh, GMs allowed to vote for their own team? They're not. Like who who got, who got the steal of the draft? It was me. <laughs> Scotty Barnes is, is we had him number one on our board. Yeah, no, they're they're not. But uh, Jalen Suggs won at number five, so I hate to tell Masai that, but a lot of people yeah. were not. Uh, yeah, he's the steal of the draft by just going one spot lower than he should have gone. Yeah, 
I'm a little bit surprised there's no Kuminga vote. Um, because I don't know. I just I still yeah, have high hopes for Kuminga. Yeah. Well, I know we haven't spent too much time with rookies, but we have spent quite a bit more time with international players. And GM's answered Giannis as the best international player. Is there any debate on that, or is that just kind of like the most obvious question in this? What a shocker, mate. <laughs> Now that's clearly, clearly the number one. That's for sure. It is a little surprising to see them take Luca at number two, or Luca to get the second most votes. Yes. Uh, and Jokic third. Forty yes. percent of the GMs pick someone other than Giannis, and that is shocking. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of weird to see the league MVP being number three best international player in the NBA. Hey, we got a deep crop of international guys. Yeah. I'm here for like, it. Didn't we just vote for who is the best player in the NBA a few, few uh, like, months ago? Yeah. <laughs> I think we even crazy. voted yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I think, as always, Jokic is getting uh, underrated, but also get it. Like, Luka has been amazing, and he's going to continue to grow. Um, hey, the other guys are gaining on him. Giannis was um, more unanimous last year. Yeah. Yeah, for Jokic's MVP season and just Luka's development. It's kind of easy to see why. Yeah, stole a couple votes. Yeah. And, you know, Giannis's 50-point finals closeout is insane and amazing. But, I mean, they're just more top Europeans. The game's really coming along, and I'm here for it. He's only the reigning finals MVP. Like, it shouldn't be unanimous, right? Yeah. No, definitely not. I think this next one's really interesting. I've not started to do any draft prep, so I don't have... Like, I don't have great answers for it, but maybe do, do either of you two follow international play enough to answer who is the best international player not in the NBA? No, not I, really. I know who they selected, and I think it's probably the, the obvious answer. Nikola Mirotic, if he wanted, could be in the NBA. Like, he would be a rotation player in the league, and he just doesn't want to. So I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any other international player that's like a clear-cut rotation player. All right, then let's move on, because I know, Dylan, you wanted to come on here and prevent any potential Rudy Gobert slander. So we're just going to start off big with who is the best defensive player in the NBA? Now, they, they, they get a little bit tricky here by just saying the best defensive player. Um, so that, that you know, kind of allows for some playoff waiting um, where the, you know, undisputed, irrefutable clear-cut best regular season defensive player is Rudy Gobert. Um, and it's not even close. Like, he is so much better as a regular season um, defensive difference maker than anyone else in the league. Um, you know, the the playoff um, mitigation of impact is, is way overstated, um, but it but it, it does still exist. Um, so for that reason, I could see other guys getting involved. Um, and I try to use my English degree for... The only thing it's ever possibly been good at, which is twisting and misinterpreting words. Yep. Okay. Hit me with it. What if... They ask, who is the best defensive player? Whereas the award that we have is the most valuable defensive player. And I would agree, without a shadow of a doubt, Rudy Gobert and his defensive weight and anchoring of the Jazz defense is the most valuable to a team because he can be a one-man defensive wrecking force that will kind of guarantee you a 50-win season. However, the best defensive player 
I might go with Draymond Green. I might say a little bit of Bam. Uh, you know, Kawhi got some votes, and I I wouldn't be mad at any of those guys saying that they are technically more skilled or maybe better at defense, although less valuable. I I get that um interpretation. It's sort of like most like the the most talented player or like the best player in the NBA, um, as opposed to like the MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, is sort is sort of what you're getting at there. Like OBS should just be defensive player of the year in perpetuity. Like he's by far and away the most impactful regular season defensive player. Um, but if you want to say like most talented or um, that sort of thing, um, then you then you can get into some other guys. An interesting one that um I've heard some people bring up is like, okay, you've got one position, you need a stop. You you know you in in one on one. You don't know who the guy's going to be. It could be a center, could be a point guard. Who are you picking to be the defender? Um, that's like an interesting hypothetical that I've that I've heard it phrased at, as. And if that's the case, then who are you picking? PJ McConnell. If I've <laughs> if I've got a one position, I have to get a stop. I don't know if it's going to be a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, or center. Um, I'm you know probably not taking Gobert. Yeah, I mean Rudy is definitely not the most versatile defender in the league. There's stuff he can't do. And that's stuff he's really good at. The GM survey breaks it down a little bit. The next two questions are best perimeter defender, best interior defender. Rudy, hands down, wins interior. Drew Holiday takes perimeter. Then they finally ask the question of who is the most versatile defender. So I think that's the, that's the most fun. If you get one person to defend one possession, and it could be a random player that they have to defend against, it could be you know, Giannis, it could be Steph Curry. Who are you picking? To be that one defensive player for one stop. Can I can I ask who the GMs picked? Because I think they're going to pick a guy that's way overrated as a, um, I guess an on-ball defender. They chose Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I th- I thought they would. Um, but like Giannis is like the best help defender in the league, and like you know pretty decent interior defender, pretty decent perimeter defender. But like his versatility is like way overstated. Like he can't defend guards. He can't get through screens. He, you know, he, he couldn't defend Durant. You know, everyone was saying, you know, he needs to step up and defend Durant. Well, he tried, he couldn't. Yeah. Like, there are, there are you know, guys on his own team that do a better job of that than him. Uh, so I think he's, he's like, people really misunderstand what his defensive value um, is coming from. And, and like, he's just not a, an on-ball guy. Um, you know, he's an awesome help defender. So I don't think that's... I think they are wrong in saying that he's the most versatile because there are other guys who are way better on ball defenders like um uh, like like I don't know like OG Ananobi can defend 1 through 5 and is like the best ISO defender in the league uh and a pretty decent you know guy like passing lanes and and help and stuff um it's sort of like the the Robert Covington idea of you know he kind of gets shit on because he's regarded as an elite defensive player but he he's not an on ball stopper Giannis sort of gets the opposite effect where people think he's a you know they know he's an awesome defender and then assume that he's an on-ball stopper but he's but he's not he's you know he's a rich man's Robert Covington he's an awesome help defender who can do a decent job on the on one-on-one but a very very rich man's <laughs> Robert Covington <laughs> yeah there's there's a hot take to take home as as Giannis yeah. is just just a rich man's Robert Covington he's Jeff Bezos's Robert Covington <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's keep it in perspective because Giannis, those arms and passing lanes, and when he comes over to help, it is 
intimidating when you know you get to the brook lopez vertical tower and then Giannis comes out of nowhere it's it's intimidating you know he's he's very good at recovering very good at bouncing around between guys sure he's not the best at stopping his individual matchup but i I have another idea with this and go ahead so I've been in a lot of debates recently about the top 75 guys, like who should be in NBA 75 at 75. And I don't consider defensive uh, awards for that because in my mind, I, I don't care if you are a top defender. I care if you are a top player. And like we've got guys like Matisse Thybul, or we mentioned Chris Dunn earlier. Chris Dunn is still a really good defensive player, but is out of the league basically because he can't do anything on the offensive side. Is there someone like that? Like you mentioned OG as as possibly an answer to this like we're asking for a very specific skill set here that doesn't necessarily mean you are a top player why are we limiting this discussion to all-stars like let's let's have this discussion and gms your job is to make this decision be better don't name the guys that random international nba fanboys on a podcast can come up with and think of like really dig deep into your bag of tricks and be like yeah I think you know. You know the best perimeter defender is it? It's it's Gary Payton the second. Yeah, dude, Gary Payton <laughs> Jr. is like, or Gary Payton Jr. the second is is really good. Like, I want some GM to actually say that and be like, yeah. yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised a guy like PJ Tucker isn't getting any mentions at all. Like, there's a reason he's in the league, and it's not because he's an amazing ball handler. Yeah, like he's gonna start uh, on a championship contender while being an absolute zero on offense. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know who the correct answer actually is, though, Nate? I think for oh. most versatile defender, um, the if we say like the aspects are like interior defense, help defense, on ball defense. Like off ball defense, team defense, I guess. Like it's it's Draymond. He's yeah. still the most most versatile defender in the league. But somehow LeBron James has voted over him. So that's just GM fanboying. Yeah. All right. Well, taking it out to the team concept, who will be the best offensive team in the NBA this season? Man, and this is where the GMs come back with the Rudy Gobert disrespect because I remember seeing this and being like, they what? Like, there are literally, like, objective measures of team defense. And the Jazz were, like, by a significant margin, the number one defensive team last year um, and shouldn't be any worse. And no one took massive steps forward. So, like, how are they not the unanimous pick? As Tom Thibodeau and his sweaty, yelling existence makes defenders miss three or makes offensive players miss threes at a weird rate, Therefore, giving the Knicks a six-on-five advantage. Wait, did they pick the Knicks? Nah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, come on. <laughs> 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 no. Ice! 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 Yeah. Nah, but they picked Milwaukee Bucks, of course. They also gave the Lakers at least three votes, if you take it all 30 GMs voted. Uh, and... I kind of take offense to to the GMs picking Los Angeles Lakers over Miami Heat. Like that's just so wrong. Oh yeah. I think they gotta be on some some personal vendetta against uh, Eric Sprost or something. 
Because they're, they're definitely going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league. I mean, Frank Vogel has coached the Lakers surprisingly well defensively. For the lack of defensive talent that LA has had, like yeah. uh, they were top three last year for a long stretch, even without LeBron and without AD. Yep. But that still also doesn't quite um, doesn't quite fit this year because last year without LeBron and AD, they still had Caruso, who is a very positive defensive player by all metrics. They were playing Wes Matthews, who, you know, we can talk about being washed. Um, we can talk about Marcus Saul being washed, but he understands. He's got the high mind concept. It's not like he is much less athletic than Brooke Lopez, who is who's a very solid defender in this league. Um, Kuzma had arms. ACP and Kuzma were, were good too last season. Yep. Schroeder as a point of attack guard. Like, he's not a good defender, but he's an annoying defender that can be pesky. So, you know, you're replacing that with... Wayne Ellington, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell uh, Westbrook. Yeah. <laughs> who, are, who are three like terrible defenders at their position. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't help that Ariz is already injured and going to miss a month or THT. But the Lakers, the Lakers will be happy to be in the top 10 defensively this season. And yeah. Come at me, Lakers fans. If the Lakers are a top five defense, like give, give Frank Vogel coach of the year. Like the, LeBron, AD, Wash, Trevor, Ariza. Maybe THT if he can take a step forward, and that's like pretty much it. Everyone else is a negative defender. Funny you should say he should get coach of the year because that is our next (laughs) selection of questions. And Nate, I'm going to give you the answer that I don't know if you're thinking it, but that you should be thinking. Okay. Um, With your Raptors optimism, if if the Raptors are a playoff team, isn't Nick Nurse coach of the year? I I would love that that vote. I'm not entirely sure I, I get there because I think we've already recognized what he does well. And I think there will be a lot of, oh, the Raptors regressed to the mean. You know, they had their terrible year in Tampa. They weren't that bad the previous season. Like, I, I kind of, I don't know if he gets it, but I think that'd be really, really good for him. Um, the GM survey breaks down their coaches into like a bunch of different questions. You know, best head coach, best manager slash motivator best in-game adjustments, who runs the best offense, who has the best defense, uh, which new head coach is going to make the biggest impact, best assistant. We don't have a lot of knowledge on these coaches. So let's let's just simplify it. Who's going to be the best, best coach this year? Who Who's going to improve their team the most from the last year? Who are you expecting the most of? I think if all teams were healthy, I'd have a clear number one, um, and that's Rick Carlisle. Going for for the paces, going from one of the literal worst coaches, if not the worst coach in the league, in a couple of different ways, to literally one of the best coaches in the league. You know that difference is just going to be so massive. Um, but they're just so hurt. I just don't know like how much he can get out of the guys he has. Nico, what about you? Yeah, I'm kind of torn between uh, Eric Spoelstra from Monty Williams. It's also the like top picks from the GMs, um, and actually also really like what Quinn Snyder is doing in Utah. So yeah, I feel Quinn won't get it just because of how successful Utah has been. Who got it last year? That's an excellent question. Is he fired yet? <laughs> Which coach has got fired? <laughs> I think Monty Williams got it, but I'm not sure. Tom Thibodeau. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 How could I mean, I if, if, if Quinn didn't get it last year, where like he should have got it, like they won't give it to him this year. Um, hmm. And we can assume that like they probably won't give it back to back to to Thibodeau, 
who's just a team that's just going to be way better this year? Because that happens a lot. Like if a if a coach can get a team to be way better, can give you a dark horse actually. Um, as as a guy that I think has already won it maybe twice, I think. If Doc Rivers can find a way to get like a successful season out of the Sixers team, who have like literally the, the worst possible off court situation, if he can get that team to like be like a top three team in the East again, then I think he does well. Doc has a lot of flaws, particularly as like a like a playoff coach, and you know he he doesn't make the right adjustments um, in the playoffs. But on regular season, like underdog teams, like his Magic teams. Like that one season, you know, with the eight C Clippers who had, you know, the the Gallinari, Tobias Harris, Lou Williams team. Like he can get those sort of underdog, under talented teams to overperform. Um, so like if Simmons doesn't play or like he's just been a dick and Embiid misses his usual amount of games, like Doc really succeeds with that type of team. If if in those you know twenty twenty five games they can stay competitive enough to like get a top three seed um on the back of Embiid's excellence when he's back um then I think there's a decent case for that I'm not yeah I I get it I think I would lean a little bit more I think I would lean a little bit more towards someone who is really expected to do nothing if they do something like what do you guys think about Chris Finch for Minnesota I was just about to mention Chris Finch like that could be, they could be a very big surprise uh, to a lot of teams in Minnesota. They are basically back and healthy. And, you know, Chris Finch coming out of Toronto, I think Toronto has been a great place for, for like, um, you know, creative coaching styles. And they've really brought some new things to the table in terms of coaching. So maybe, uh, you know, getting a like bright mind into uh, this Minnesota team could do some magic. Yeah, I mean, once he took over late in the season last year, they played at like a 500 level, and then they've they've probably improved their roster this year. You'd expect Towns will be um, playing more consistently, right? So like they should be better if if they're a 500 team. Like that's a that's a big step. Yeah, and that could be a, a potential play in team, potentially a playoff berth. And you got to know he's good, he's coaching for his job. Like he was Gerson Rosas's boy to the point where he fired Ryan Saunders, which. Just, just what the Saunders family means to Minnesota to fire Ryan midseason with all of the injuries and everything going on is a controversial move. And then he didn't promote the lead assistant that all of the players wanted, and he snaked a, an assistant from another team, which is really rare to do. Um, and now, now Rosas is gone, and I don't feel like Finch has a lot of allies, so I kind of feel like it's it's coach of the year or you're fired basically yeah are, are my two outcomes for finch and you know for his sake i hope he gets coach of the year let's throw one more out there like the the usual coach of the year model is to like win it sort of undeservingly is the common consensus is just like too low on a team and then they just play to like their actual level which is just higher than what everyone expected and seeing some of the clippers pessimism how about mm-hmm. some love for my guy Ty Lue? i mean people are seeing them as potentially like a like a playing team, if they're like a like a five seed, and um, you know Tyloo's one of the better coaches in the league, he's quite popular among the media, that sort of thing. If you know yeah, the yeah, Clippers totally. are competitive, they don't take a massive step back, and they just outperform what are some probably too low expectations. Um, that's sort of the recipe of of a guy that can get a coach of the year. That would make sense as well. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought you were actually going to go with uh, Steve Nash there, kind of similar to your Doc Rivers take of yeah. a, a team with some controversy. 
but like if the if the Nets blow the doors off and have I don't know sixty five wins or something, I I could see him being a um, being a prime candidate. Yeah, I think that's a good pick as well. Well, the next one always interests me, and there's no real way to know. Um, but which active player will make the best head coach someday? And just to complicate matters, I'm gonna rule out point guards. It's just too easy to say this guy runs a team well. So which non-point guard would you choose to be a head coach someday? Let me think. I'm usually really good at this, like Willie Green, Dante Jones, who's a assistant for the Clippers, those those kind of guys that I like love those into the bench veteran guys. Let me let me find one of those because those are like my favorite kind of players, and then they always go into coaching. I really thought I had it with Luke Walton. Like I've been calling Luke Walton yeah. be a great coach, and then he gets to Golden State, and he's the lead assistant, and they have that great you know year with Kerr sitting out, and then he comes to LA, and I'm so hyped, and then his career has just not paid out the way I thought it would be. The only guy that I can think of is is the only active player who is also an assistant coach. Udonis Haslam as just you know you you can always tell who like the smart um you know coach like players are because they find ways to stay on teams far beyond when they're good um Jared Dudley on the Lakers last year is a perfect example is like this guy shouldn't be in the league but teams keep paying him and that's that's when you know that these are just like these guys are providing something off the court um so if Jared Dudley was still in the league I'd take him Mm-hmm. Kind of the Elton Brand type, or the yeah, you know they're going to go into the game some way. Vince Carter with going into media, sticking around on the Hawks forever. Yeah, whenever you see like a like a old veteran player that can't provide anything on the court, but they keep getting signed, that's when you know that they're um you know that they're going to go onto something. There's something there that they're providing. So Udonis is the only one that comes to mind. I was just trying to stall some time, to be honest. Um... <laughs> Garrett Temple is is a good guy. Uh, point guard. Like a, he's not a point guard. He's like a small forward. Come on. Ah, he's a point guard. He he's had to play point guard in Chicago because he's the only one that was like smart enough to bring the ball up. He's a wing. He's yeah, like... I'm just like I'm I'm thinking about who's like these great motivational players who, you know, make make the teams play better and stuff like that. Uh, and they are almost like always point guards when I think about it. Mm-hmm. I know that's that's why I thought it was really fun because yeah. why do you ask me so tough questions? Maybe even like PJ Tucker. Like Ooh. he seems like a guy that can like really command respect from a locker room. Yeah. Seems like a smart guy, you know, a veteran it's... that's sort of been around, he's been on championship teams, he's been out of the league. Um I think he could possibly be a decent coach. I've always had this thought process that small forwards would make the best coaches because, you know, they have to play a little bit on the perimeter and they kind of get thrown into the post. So they kind of understand both sides and both aspects of the games. And then they have to be pretty versatile defensively. So, you know, outside of point guards, I always think that those the switchable small forwards would be really good. You know, maybe like an Andre Iguodala type. Oh, yeah. kind of think that, like, Iguodala would be more of like, um, and I'm more on the business side. Like I think he'd probably be a good coach, but I think he's more likely to end up being like a general manager. 
Yeah. Uh, one guy that got votes from the GM survey was Joe Ingles. That'd be awesome. <laughs> can, can maybe remind me a little bit about Nick Nurse, I guess. Uh, Nick Nurse is is one of the most random coaching stories because he kind of he came from nowhere and everywhere. He coached yeah. in like England in a very small league. He coached in the yeah. G League. He, There's the great think, story of him like trying to bring in stories from like tell his players and like the finals like you know when I was coaching in England we did this and this and they're like coach get the fuck out of here like we don't want to hear about your your random club team in England. Yeah here stop me when you know a team. Uh, <laughs> he he coached in Northern Iowa uh, the Northern Iowa Panthers so college then he coached the Derby Rams after which he coached Grandview, the Grandview Vikings. Uh, then South Dakota Coyotes, uh, again, a Division One, but he was an assistant. Jumps back out to England for the Birmingham Bullets. Then the, ooh, I'm going to put this name, Talindas Oosted uh, of Belgium. Then the Manchester Giants, the London Towers, the Oklahoma Storm, the Brighton Bears, the Oklahoma Storm again as an assistant. Then finally, the Iowa Energy of the NBA G League, the Grand and River, or uh, the Rio Grande Vipers, of the G League, <laughs> Raptors as an assistant. So yeah, he has like no playing credentials um, outside of one year with the Derby Rams of the British Basketball League. Yeah, Tucker's kind of like a little bit like that, right? Like he played in all these random leagues. Yeah, I think he coached PJ Tucker in one of those stops. I wouldn't be surprised. What about maybe El Horford? Could he be Ooh. a coach? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Seems, seems like a smart guy. Danny Green? Uh, yeah. yeah. I always thought the Gasol brothers could be, you know, a, a nice coaching duo. Yeah, but technically technically not active uh, NBA players. Yeah. Oh, yeah, both Gasol's out of the league. That's weird. Yeah. Well, to move on from coaches, we kind of get into the fun questions. Uh, in the miscellaneous section here, or they ask GMs, who will be the most fun team to watch? So I'll let you guys interpret fun how you will. Who are you most excited to turn on the pass and see? I, I think Charlotte is going to be a lot of fun. I think one that's going to make a, a resurgence, um, the Golden State Warriors. Mm, After yeah. being really not fun for a couple of years, I think they're going to be back to you know the ball flying around and Steph Curry doing dances and Jordan Poole breaking ankles and hitting step back threes. Yeah. I'm very intrigued by Atlanta. Last year, they were not that exciting in the regular season, but maybe it's just how many Trey Young to John Collins uh, Instagram highlight dunks I've been watching, which is is quite a few, but I, I'm really interested to see if they can stay at that level they hit during the playoffs or are they going to have some turmoil? What happens with Nate McMillan having a full year to coach the team? Like, do they kind of sour on him? Where, where do they go? So they're they're kind of my early, 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 early uh, most fun team to watch right now. I kind of feel like mentioning Chicago Bulls as well, right? I mean, yeah. Zach Levine is pretty entertaining in terms of you know, making some nice highlight dunks and stuff like that. They got the Martin Rosen, who also can do some funny uh, highlights. Some funny highlights. <laughs> Exciting highlights, I should say. If their announcer says juicy one more time, <laughs> yeah. I'm turning the game off. So I don't yeah. want to ever hear him like, you hit three, juicy. 
you can, you can uh, maybe you can uh, like get my password for the uh, Danish uh, streaming service. So um, yeah, I actually heard them um, on uh, the mismatch. They talked about the the Danish um, NBA announcers. And it did. So that so they are getting some um, some international attention. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the story was that like their listenership is like overrepresented, like Danish people are overrepresented by, you know, mismatched listeners. Um, and one of the reasons that they gave is that like those famous um, Danish NBA commentators talked about the show. Um, so a bunch of Danish people now listen to the mismatch because they they got shouted out by whoever those two guys are. Yeah, right. that's that's got to be Peter Peter Wang actually. He's talking a lot about the ring and, and Bill Simmons. Uh, Nico, you've got to get us on. Like, get us get the Danish announcers to to shout out our podcast, and we'll, our followership right. will go up dramatically. Yeah, maybe we can bring on some of those uh, Danish uh, guys. The Danish <laughs> viewership of the NBA is probably not the like the biggest target group. <laughs> hey, I have a lot of Legos, and if we can get super popular in Denmark, I have a good excuse to go to the home of Lego and uh, consider. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I, I'd, I'd go for a trip there if we can get a, a sizable listenership. We did get a lot of response from the Danish, uh, like, uh, Facebook NBA groups. So, uh, like last time we we did a survey. See, boom. I forgot what the question was at this point, but we'll just move on to the next one. Of which team has the best home court advantage? I mean, there are two that should be like way above everyone else, right? The the Nuggets and the Jazz. They naturally did win it, yes. So to call back to our last question, maybe this is the time where that Warriors home court starts starts really popping again, and it's yeah. just impossible to play there. Like teams are just like, man, I don't want to go there. But they're like playing the new stadium, right? Mm. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if the Chase Center can get some of those Oracle vibes, where they were just like, like at the peak of their powers, where like they were like so loud that it was like almost dangerous. Like yeah. you, like and teams just like hated playing there. Like you miss a couple shots, the crowd gets into it, and it's just like over. Like or the opposite. Like Harry makes a couple shots, the crowd start roaring, and you're just like, man, there's just no coming back from this. We'll see if they can get that, some of that magic back this year with hopefully being a better team. And I just, they, the GMs have the Knicks as the third best home court advantage. And I want to say that the Knicks have the worst home court advantage. Because, <laughs> like, their fans get riled up and rowdy. And they're they're writing checks that the Knicks can't cash. Like, they can't back it up. And so you just have Trey Young literally punking them. Like, yeah. it seems like everyone wants to have their best game in the garden. Yeah. On the, on the plus side, like, they do show up. Every game, like no matter what, like the garden's going to sell out. True. There are a lot the of garden, teams around the league that. Yeah, true. The garden sold out before the Nets uh, during their playoff push. Like it was only after the Knicks got eliminated that the Nets started selling out home games. So Knicks fans are there. You're just not doing it. I mean, come on, get better. Who did they have third, Nate? The Knicks. Ah, right. Any Anyone else um, get a decent amount of votes? Uh, Portland got two votes. Golden State, Miami, Milwaukee, and Philly. Oh, Miami's a good one. Well, not yeah. In in a way, they they um have an advantage at home. True, they got that just, uh, home crowd night out before. Yeah, yeah. If every team just shows up with the South South Beach flu. Yeah, 
I wonder how much hype this uh, Chicago Bulls team is getting around. Uh, you know, uh, as far as I know, they have had a very hard time uh, yeah. filling filling the arena in in Chicago. So I wonder how it's going to look next season. Yeah, those but fans like, haven't had much to cheer for in like a decade. Right. Um, and you know that they're one of the biggest markets and like most successful franchises. So if that team can be decent, you think that they'd, they'd show out for their for their guys? Yeah. Our next of our fun questions is which team has the most promising young core? What do you guys even consider a young core at this point? Under legal uh, drinking age? Under legal <laughs> drinking age? Oh, it's going to go way higher, like under 25. Yeah. What? Well, how, how old is Jokic? 26. Ah, okay. Yep. So not them then. I, I just kind of ask it because like you used to always say 25 or something yeah. like that. But when, you know, players played four years of college, 25 is three years after being in the league. Like, how young are we really considering young? Like, because it kind of depends on where you want to cut the line for my answer. Like, yeah. like it's it's got to be like pre, um, like peak. Yeah, like pre-prime. Pre, pre-prime. <laughs> Can I give you a sneaky one? Sure. The best young core is um the Mavs. Of just just Luka. Luka. They have Luka? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jalen yeah, Brunson. Josh... <laughs> Josh Green, they haven't cut yet. <laughs> it's not a bad one. I mean, Luca is the only guy that is definitively in the MVP conversation that we would have on the young core list. Yeah, I mean, they did add the Moses Brown this season. So, how old are the the Celtics guys that could be the other answer? Oh man, you know, Jason Tatum. Yeah, Jason Tatum's eighteen, but how old is um Jalen Brown? <laughs> I got you. They'll still be under twenty five, right? Yeah, they're like twenty four and twenty three. Yeah, so that, that that might be the other answer. The GMs went with the Hawks, and yeah. I'm all in yeah. on that Hawks love. But I think what this is is they've got one really good player in yeah. Trey. They've got like they've at least got like good depth of like guys who could be good. It's like the mm-hmm. opposite of the Mavs, where it's like one guy pulling all the weight and then like just nothing. The Hawks at least have like they have like five young guys who could be starters or or better what, what about memphis grizzlies yeah i mean i mean they have um you know obviously they have jama rand but jaron jackson jr i think that's the player that gms voted as the uh most likely to win most improved player right yeah that was a surprising one um and also like just Xavier tillman looked great last season um desmond bain looked pretty damn good Dylan Brooks is still 25. Brandon Clark still 25. Um, that's a pretty damn good young core. Yeah, I love the Memphis young core. I'm really interested to see if uh, Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson and Jr. can kind of get back to some of what they did at MSU together. Because, I mean, Jaron's got more size. Tillman's kind of an undersized five, but definitely the five. Like, uh, I just I want to see how they play. They could be really good. I do think they took a step back in this offseason, but there's a lot of good young talent. I mean, you know, the votes, there were 10 different teams mentioned in this this voting, so NBA is in a good place. Yeah. All right. Could they have second out of interest before we move on? Houston. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Another thing where they got like a depth of like guys who could be decent. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to count Christian Wood, then they at least have one guy that is marginally a, proven. A starter. Yeah. A starter could be a low-grade Jeremy Grant-level all-star. Top 50 player, you know. I don't think there's that much difference between him and a Jeremy Grant, and Grant got a little bit of all-star buzz. Well, our next question is really subject to interpretation. Who is the most athletic player in the league? Mm. 
I'm just gonna go with Jamarand. Yeah. What I was like thinking he's, too, actually. He's pretty fast, and he's jumping very high. Yeah. Whenever there's a point guard that can finish an alley oop, I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, and it just looks so incredible when he's doing that. Yeah. Yeah, like he really just like, like elevates in the, like an abnormal way. Yeah, you know, like when, when he takes when... off, it's like, okay, now he should be at his pinnacle, but he just keeps going. Yeah. And also, when, when players are jumping so high that it looks like they're like falling from a high place when they're getting down again, like that's just incredible to look at. Yeah. Like, that, that's, you... not, like I suffer from, uh, like, um, I'm pretty scared of height. And if I was like, you know, up at that height, if from... you were Jama Rant, you'd be, you'd be yeah. freaking out. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this looks crazy when he's dunking. Can I throw out Hundo Composo? <laughs> Does he even what? jump when he's shooting? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's leaving the ground at all. <laughs> even on his jump shot, he doesn't get off the ground. No. <laughs> hey, hey, he's he's quick. He's, you know, a little, little scrappy, a little speed. I, I'm just, I'm taking a very liberal use of the word athleticism, but... For the fact that he doesn't get demolished every single day, he's uh I mean for a five nine, uh thirty uh, yeah. two year old or how old he is, he's pound pretty for pound, <laughs> minute for minute. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty athletic. <laughs> yeah. I can go the other way too and be like it's it's Zion because he's like three hundred pounds and he can, you know, run and jump like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well a lot of a lot of votes went to Zion, so if if that's what they can go for, that's what I'm going for. Uh, several of our next ones are, are kind of similar. We got a who's fastest with the ball. So let's let's try to go rapid fire. Just the first names that you guys think of, kind of burn through some of these questions. Uh, who's fastest with the ball? Uh, De'Aaron Fox. Those guys come to mind. Actually, low-key Yanis. Like the way he's like... Yeah, he can like, his strides are so long. Yeah, like he's dribbling one time and he's like yeah. half past the half court yeah uh, but the obvious ones of course Jaron Fox and, and John Morant I think yeah hmm? I love the Giannis inclusion alright who's the best pure shooter such a weird um, term pure <laughs> shooter well it rules out Sadiq Bay because have you seen like the hitch in that jump shot it goes in <laughs> but it is not a pure shot yep like maybe the best shooter of all time does he qualify for this he did receive 90% of the GM's vote okay so I'll take that as a yes I mean, Tony Snell led the league in three point percentage <laughs> last season. So, yeah, Tony, Tony Snell is the best pure shooter. Well, this is um, one of those things that I was getting to. With he also the doesn't miss free throws too, so that's another one for him. Yeah, yeah. He only takes like two a season, but he makes both of them. Boom! Awesome. Tony Snell better shooter than Steph Curry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is the best player moving without the ball? Mm, I don't. Wanna, I'm trying to go someone deeper um, than just like Steph Curry or Duncan Robinson. It's gotta be Steph Curry. That's like what he's. That that's one of his like main like defenses are just so much in trouble when when he doesn't have the ball because then you know he's he's free at some point. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Steph, Clay, Duncan Robinson are like the easy ones. Um, man, I'm trying to like show off my NBA knowledge by being like this obscure guy is actually awesome off the ball. My guy's not obscure, but I'm gonna go with Rudy Gobert. <laughs> Moving off the ball defensively. No, I mean he sets that screen. He rolls well. That's moving off the ball. You don't you don't lead the league in dunks when you can't do much offensively unless you're you're doing pretty good moving off the ball. How about calling back again to our guy Tony Snell? Um, 
you know, he had that that great game where he had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists um, in like 30 minutes. Like he was doing a lot of moving out there um, and constantly off the ball to never register an assist or or a point. Um, so, you know, all he's doing is moving off the ball. Well, I just realized that the NBA stats has, uh, has a scoring frequency for cutting. Mm. So... They actually have like um like off ball like speed and like distance covered as well. Yeah. I remember looking into that when I was trying to figure out why the balls suck. I was like, well, let's let's see. Maybe they're just not moving. <laughs> One of my deep Man. dives. The the guys that score the best off cutting, like Donovan Mitchell, Cam Reddish, Gary Harris kind of surprisingly, but you know, you got Jokic throwing you those assists. Uh most specifically Gary Harris in Denver, not Gary Harris in <laughs> in Orlando. No no one's getting him assists in Orlando. Orlando. Yeah. All right. Next question. Who's the best passer? Mm, like there's the the obvious ones, like Chris Paul, LeBron, and Jokic. Like an underrated one is James Harden. Like he, he has a pretty deep bag of like good passes, like one of the best pocket passes in the league. Obviously great at finding the corners. He can throw a lob. It's like he's underrated as a passer. Yeah, for sure. Who, who'd they say, Nate? Were they just um but that big three I mentioned? Is that it? Let's see. LeBron, Jokic, Chris Paul. Mm. Yep. Doncic is fourth, but Facundo Composo did get a vote. Mm, nice. <laughs> ball, I see. Yeah, Russell Westbrook also got one, so, you know, GMs are not bad in a thousand. All right. Best leader in the NBA. <clears throat> hmm. I'm just going to go with LeBron James. Mm. I'm trying to think of someone that's not like LeBron or, or CP3, where, like, it's a leader that also hasn't had, like, times where, like, he he's made his team hate him. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's another throwback again to Donis Haslam. Like he's getting paid two million dollars a year just to be a leader. Oh, Steph Curry. Steph Curry's probably a good call. Like he's consistently oh. voted like one of the you know like best um teammates and that sort of thing. Yeah. Besides Kevin oh. Durant, doesn't seem like anyone really turns on him. I'll go with CJ McCollum, head of the players' union. He seems to uh he seems to really have taken to that role. Seems to be doing really well at it. Players seem to have respect him. You know, he's he took over Chris Paul's chair, and he has somehow convinced Damian Lillard to not leave the team. So that's leadership. About Draymond Green. Yeah, kind of co-leads with stuff. Yeah, seems like the main motivator. And I mean, yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna have to crank up this speed round uh, because I really want to answer the last question with some detail. So just quick, quick answers here, guys. Uh, who's the most versatile player in the NBA? That's an interesting one. It's no time for interesting, just speed. It's a big LeBron. Yeah. It's LeBron by a long way. Yeah. It's interesting. No, it's just LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, yeah, there are interesting um, conversations you can have about other guys, but it's LeBron is the most versatile player in the NBA. Cool. I'm going with Durant, but moving on. Highest IQ, highest basketball IQ, I should say. Rondo, uh, Chris Paul. Yeah, LeBron again. Undo Capasso. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which player would you want taking a shot with the game on the line? There, there's one for the, that it's easy KD. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, is, did, did you say with a game on the line or with a foot on the line? With a, <laughs> with a game on the line. Okay, okay. And because of the foot joke, I'm going Dave Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last question of the GM survey is what rule most needs to be changed? And 
the GMs kind of went crazy with this one. They kind of some had the changing the free agency before the draft. Some went with like shortening the schedule, one through sixteen playoff seeding, so Elam ending, uh, you know, transition fouls out of the game. If you could make one change, what would it be? You only get one. Um, I mean, it's probably one through sixteen, but that's never going to happen. So I'll go with um shortening the shortening the season, fewer games. It's a pretty good one. Um, mine just slipped my mind. <laughs> um, transition foul rules a good one too. Yeah, that's that's what I would for. Just from a, I understand the players need to play less games. Like that, that would be better for their their health. But I I want to see as many games as they I can get. So like I as a fan, I'm not rooting for fewer games. I am rooting for those games to be more fun. And if we can eliminate the fast break fouls or those, you know, that stop fast breaks, that would be a lot more entertaining, a lot more highlights. Well, Nico, you got to pick something. <laughs> um, if, if they come along and make you dictator of the NBA, what are you doing? First rule change. It be whatever you want. You could track the league. You could expand the league. I have a perfect answer, and I forgot about it. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to, because... Um, I don't care about money, so I'm just gonna say uh, shorten the games. You no, know, remove all those annoying ad uh, breaks. Yeah. Ooh. Like not so shorten the game time, but yeah, like so like less, less timeouts. That's uh, all that you know. Yeah. So yeah. a 48 minute game doesn't take two and a half hours. Yeah, that would be great. Gosh, they could trim that down to like. I mean, even just two hours. If, two if hours. If you're gonna go one and a half hour, like 90 minutes. That would mm-hmm. be great. Yeah, let's keep the let's keep the clock running during free throws. Oh yeah, just, that was the one I was thinking about. You know, yeah, that, and no, not that, not exactly that, but <laughs> like, uh, you know, the Giannis free throws. Like how much time it's taking for for Giannis to. Uh, uh, so you want to enforce the rule where they only get ten seconds? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> your your rule changes just enforcing a rule that already exists. But I guess like. My rule change in general is just make the game more efficient. Yeah. So we don't get that so many breaks and the games sometimes like three hours long and stuff like that. Hmm. But yeah, great to have one and a half hour games. I like it. I'm sad no one picked the Elam ending. I'm not sure I, I like it enough to go for it, but I just think it's an interesting concept. <clears throat> I mean, we always ha- we, we already have the perfect format with the playing tournament. So I'm surprised how well the playing tournament is is done. Like I thought it was gonna be kind of confusing. Pretty but good concept. Yeah, and it's it's not that hard. People that complain it's confusing. It's really not that hard. Are either of you two familiar with the WNBA playoff format? No. Okay, let me pull up a, a bracket here. Okay, so eight teams make it. Um, you know, smaller league, only eight teams make it. The one and the two have buys until the conference finals. Ooh. Basically, the. The six and seven and the five and the eight play each other in a single elimination game. Wow. The winners would then play the three and the four in another single elimination playoff game. And the winner of that game goes into a best of five against the one and the two, who then advance to a best of five for the WNBA finals. I'm kind of I'm kinda of here for it. Yeah. It's kinda of wild. Like I don't like the single single elimination, but like just like switching it up so we get to see like different teams play each other. Like the one mm-hmm. I've, I've told you guys that I've talked about before on the pod is like the NRL one where like one plays four, two plays three, winner gets a bye, loser plays, you know, five, six, seven, eight, blah, blah, blah. Just so you get like the good teams playing each other earlier. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's got to be something interesting to do to mix up the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, one through 16 is great. 
Yeah, it's just a matter of whether like a buy is is useful or not. I think a buy is useful if you do single game eliminations. Like imagine if we did the play-ins um, and the playoff, yeah. like the play-ins eventually got you all the way through. Um, I don't know. You, you did play-ins basically single elimination until you get down to the final four teams or final yeah. however many. Yeah, I just like, um, I don't know, seven game series like gets rid of the variance, you know, like a random team can get hot and like eliminate a team that's way better than them. Which is like, you know, it's interesting, but it's not interesting when that team then like gets stomped in the next round because they're not actually that good and they just got hot for one game. Oh yeah, um, like the We Believe Warriors are are amazing. We're a lot of fun, but also it's like okay, well now we don't have Dallas, and Dallas was supposed to supposed to go yeah. somewhere. Yep. Um, how about just like shortening the rounds? Like first round is three games, second round is five games, and then seven games for the rest. So like when you get those like one versus eight sweeps, you know you're not hanging around for so long, and also like introduces a little bit more variance. Um, Daryl Morey, I think, is um in favor of that. Like he just wants more more randomness, so he likes shorter series. I don't mind the shorter series. I, I want my four or five to be a be a seven because that's usually a pretty good series. Or sometimes the three six. Um, but yeah, the, what if the you ones do like <laughs> one like the one eight two seven is three games, and then the three four well three six four five you get five games. And then you get like a little bit of rest also for those top seeds. That would actually work out um, nicely with the play-in because then you could have it all kind of start so the the top seeds get a little bit of a break while the play-ins are going. Yeah, you have like those two middle teams start earlier while the play-in's going on and then, you know, the schedule's actually all lined up. Yeah, that's nice. Or or even just like, just drop it to like five games. Have the three, six, four, five is a seven game, but the one and two seed only play five um and the first two games of what would be the seven game season of series of the playing games yeah all right well gentlemen do you have any other uh preseason predictions that you want to fire away well let's 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 do this who's um who's going to be in the conference finals who's going to be in the finals who's winning the championship Ooh. let's call it on the spot let's let's add in who's the one seed in each conference too so who's the one seed Who's making conference finals? Who's making finals? Who's winning championship? This really makes me feel like you didn't listen to our podcast last week, did you? <laughs> but I wasn't there, Nate. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Um, I, I guess for me, I think this is the year Utah breaks free. I think I think Utah one wins the West regular season and yep. makes it out of the West in the playoffs. Nice. I think barring any shenanigans with the scheduling, we should have a Bucks. Nets Eastern, and I'm still picking the Nets even without Kyrie, and I'm picking the Nets to win the finals. I like it. Yeah, I kind of feel that like either the the Jazz or the Suns are going to be in the finals. Like both of those teams match up really well against the Lakers, who's like, you know, they're like the obvious team that should be coming out of the West because they've got you know two of the best you know, eight or whatever players in the NBA. Um, but the Jazz and the Suns match up pretty well against them. I mean, you can't do the five out and try to play Gobert off the court with, unless you're going to pull Davis. Yeah, like as long as Westbrook's on the floor, like you just put Gobert on Westbrook and it's like such a good matchup. Mm-hmm. I guess the tough one, if you're looking at the Phoenix side, is that AD would be a good defender against Chris Paul. Like Chris Paul couldn't just abuse Anthony Davis and pick and roll. Like he'd be able to hang. But anyway, this is supposed to be rapid fire. So I'm going to I'm gonna just um, echo your predictions, Nate. I think Jazz are the best regular season team. They make it to the conference um, finals. 
I'm going to say against the Lakers and that they beat the Lakers in the conference finals and then go on to lose to the to the Nets who beat the Bucks. I will say we are ruling out Denver and uh, the Clippers way too early. Like, hey, I take it back. Clippers are winning the championship. Kawhi's going to come back. Do you see the five thirty eight odds? They're they're super high on them. But like, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm saying here is I had the Nuggets um, mm. winning the championship last year, or at least making the finals. I forget what where exactly they were on my bracket, but I had them coming out of the West in my bracket, and they're they're the same team. They're you know probably better. They just won't have Jamal Murray until you know January or March. But like, he should be back. And same with Kawhi. Uh, I mean, there's a chance Kawhi doesn't come back or Kawhi comes back later. But I think there's a legitimate chance that either of those teams could win the finals or at least make the finals that it's going really under-discussed. Yep. I'm switching up my pick. Jazz Clippers in the conference finals and then um, the Clippers to the finals because the Jazz can't beat us, even if Kawhi doesn't play. All right. Nico, what about you? Who's the uh, the conference finals? Yeah, I mean... I think you probably covered it all, but one team I just can't shake uh, out of my head is uh, Golden State Warriors. Mm. There's also a team who is waiting for an injured player uh, in, in Clay Thompson. And I think they, they've improved their team pretty well this season. Um, they could be one of those teams that um, Utah or Phoenix will try to dodge now. Um, I think the Eastern Conference is pretty obvious. I think Brooklyn is going to be the number one team. I think Brooklyn and Milwaukee is probably going to meet up in the conference finals. And I think Brooklyn is going to win it this season. Um, yeah. But like Golden State Warriors is the only team that I could see from the like outside top three uh, really do anything. All right. Well, I'm ready for the season to start. We're about 24 hours away from the end of this recording, so... Can't fucking wait. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of the Hoops Temple Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Nate, are you okay? Send us an email at hoopstemple at gmail.com. Email us at... Did I freeze on you guys? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs>